Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. What is the evidence of the transformation we should look to be exhibited in a life changed by God's grace? That's our mission today on this teaching by Pastor Al Pittman. Leaven, lust, legalism, and liberty will all come into view as we search through Galatians chapter 5 starting at verse 7 to find handholds on our journey to understanding this question. Let's lean in for a strong word about insisting on a lifelong reliance on grace and a total rejection of legalism or any hindrance to this path. Now, here is Pastor Al Pittman. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, amen. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless his word today. Will you join me, please? Father, we thank you so much for your word and we pray your blessing upon it. We come to your table, not the table of the world, world, not the table of our opinions, but your table. We pray today that you'd feed us, Lord, with that manna that comes from your table, the meat from your table. We know, Lord, that is your word, and your word is spirit, it is life. Your word satisfies the soul. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. We ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. God bless you. Welcome to those of you online and those at Creekside and here in this auditorium. So God bless you. Um, I've entitled this message. I try to give a title to every one of my messages that I can. <laughs> and, uh, but it's entitled Evidence of Transformation. Evidence of Transforma- Transformation. Evidence, by definition, according to our court system uh, in this country, is every type of proof Legally presented at trial, allowed by the judge, which is intended to convince the judge or jury of alleged facts material to the case. And I use that definition because Paul here is presenting evidence of transformation. In our text, Paul presents exhibits, going along with the court analogy here, exhibits A, B, and C as evidence of a transformed life by the grace of God opposed to religious legalism. The evidence that we find here, again, is threefold. It's the exhibit A, what is that? Well, it's love. And exhibit B, as we'll see, it is the spirit. And exhibit C is fruitfulness in the believer's life. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Amen. Legalistic religion cannot produce this type of evidence. But it is a natural byproduct of God's grace within the life of a believer. And I believe this is a, an important message for us because it reminds us of two things. It reminds us, number one, of what really matters to the judge. What really matters to Christ. The Bible says he has shown the old man what is good. And what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with your God. These things, these evidences are important to God and walking humbly with God. And this is what matters to him. These three evidences. Secondly, it reminds us that what it looks like to truly run well, a good race, lead a good life in Jesus Christ. And so it answers those two questions uh, this particular message does and our text does today. Now, Paul presents his case with, as with many legal cases or court cases, with an opening statement. And that opening statement is in verses 7, uh, 7 to 10. And let's 
look at the word of God, <laughs> excuse me, if you will read along with me, Paul's opening statement. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. It doesn't come from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul says, who hindered you? Who, who cut in on you? Who, who cut you off in traffic? Amen. You, you still would like to know who that was. Amen. But who hindered you? You were doing so well. You were living according to the truth of God, the grace of God. But now you have returned to legalistic religion. Paul uses a proverbial expression here when he says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven, leaven is yeast, affects the whole lump of dough. And so it is in, in, in relationship to this false doctrine because, you know, leaven in scripture typically is symbolic of sin. And Paul is addressing here the sin of false doctrine. A little leaven is like being one degree off your target. If you were traveling a long distance and after a hundred yards, you would be approximately 5.2 feet off your target. Doesn't sound too bad. Not a big deal. Just 5.2 feet, but that's a hundred yards. But if you're going to the moon, amen, then one degree off, you would miss your target by 4,169 miles, almost twice the diameter of the moon. It's pretty important. When you think about it, the trajectory of the believer's life is the heart of God. David was a man after God's own heart. And a little leaven can cause us to miss God's heart, to miss God's will for our life. The Galatians thought, well, you know, that's a little slight turn back toward the law is no big deal. But Paul knew that it would be detrimental to their faith. And so it is with sin. The devil convinces us one degree. <laughs> no one will even notice. No one, will tell the, no one can tell the difference. Just, it's just one degree. And then we wake up years later and we feel a million miles away from the Lord. What happened? Well, that one degree, a little leaven, affects the whole lump. The good news is this, that what Satan devours, God is able to restore. I love Joel chapter two, where the Lord God says, so I will restore to you, speaking to the nation of Israel, the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Aren't you glad about that? When you feel like, man, my best years are behind me, God said, no, 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 no. Every day in Jesus is a new beginning. In fact, I can give you back the years that you have wasted. Amen. That's good news for somebody today. Amen. So Paul presents this case here in the beginning here and, and he, he kind of ends with a warning here in verse 10 and he says, you know, those who trouble you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And Paul says, I don't care who, are, who, who whoever you are. You're teaching false doctrine in the church. You're going to answer to God. You're going to answer to God. I tell you, I, I hear some, hear some false teaching even on Christian television, you know, and I had to go grab my Bible and go, where does it say that? 
And uh, yeah, I want to know, you know, I want to be, I want to know what the word of God says. I don't know, you know, just, just listen to somebody. I always tell the congregation from time to time, even here, I'll tell you, check me out. That's why you should bring your Bible to church. That's why you should follow along in the text. That's why you should take notes. We need to be disciples, students of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not just here to hear a sermon. We're here to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So check me out. Home, amen, homie, amen. And so many times people have gotten led astray. You know, Jim Jones years ago leading all these people to Africa and all of them committing mass suicide. Why? Because he started calling himself Jesus Christ. I wonder, did you have? Their, did they have their Bibles open? Oh, uh, wait a minute, Pastor. <laughs> I don't think that's you. I mean, somebody should have been reading. But see, if we're not in the Word. You know, this is, what, this is what happens. False teachers, but these false teachers will be stand before God and will be judged by God. And Paul issues them a warning here. Now, he continues with his opening statement. Paul declares that his message, unlike the false message of these false teachers, is not according to the law, but according to grace. In verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? He says, you know what? Paul used to preach preach persecute, uh, preach uh, uh, circumcision. He used to preach the law until they had an encounter with Jesus on, on the Damascus road and he was transformed by the power of God. He said, if I was still preaching that, then why am I being persecuted? He said, then the offense, if I was still preaching that, the offense of, of the cross would have ceased. But he's not preaching that, he's preaching grace. He says, I would, I would, <laughs> I could wish rather that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. What is Paul saying there? I wish you would just cut them off from fellowship. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I wish they would castrate themselves. You guys are so obsessed with circumcision. Why stop there? Go all the way if you think that that would make you righteous in the sight of God. Cut it all off. Amen. That's what he's saying. Now, he's being a little flippant here. Amen. That's what he's saying. And he's being a little flippant, but he does it to make a point. To point out the futility of relying upon the law for your salvation. It's foolishness. Now he comes into, after his opening statement, he comes into Exhibit A. Verses 13 to 15. Exhibit A. Evidence of grace in a transformed life. The first evidence he presents here is love. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as, a, as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is, is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Amen. How many churches have been consumed? Doors are shut because they consumed one another through biting and devouring one another through gossip and all the rest. We are to love one another. We were called to liberty. He said called. We are called. What does that word mean? In the Greek, it means to bear a name or title, to salute one by name. We salute each other as those who've been liberated through faith in Jesus Christ. However, we're not to use our liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, you know. Those who say, oh, but I'm saved by grace so I can go out and do anything that I want. Not true. 
Paul said, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I got to be careful. And he says, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Peter reminds us, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, you know, people gossiping about you, talking about you. Well, you just continue to do good and your goodness will overshadow all the gossip that's going on out there. It, it will shut the mouths of those who are speaking out against you. And he says, living as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, not some people, all people. Love the brotherhood. What's the brotherhood? The church. Fear God. Amen. Revere God. And honor the president. I keep mentioning that because we live in a, such a bitter, hateful time. But he says, honor the president. Oh, no, says the king. Well, that's the ruler of that day. And we don't have a king, even though sometimes these presidents think they're king. But we have a president, a person in authority. And the Bible says we're to respect those who are in authority. Honor the king. Amen. We are to love, serve each other in loving one another. And how can we serve each other? Well, there's a couple of ways I want to suggest to you this morning. Number one, we can love by esteeming others better than ourselves. Look at the person to the right of you, the person to the left of you. you just, just take a glance. Don't be afraid. They won't bite you. Amen. Do you think that person is better than you? Huh? Some of you shaking your heads. No. All right. I, I, all right. You're just being honest. But the Bible says to esteem others better than yourself. That's what the Bible says. There's people here with the Bible says, and, and they don't care, you know. But if you're born again, you should take it to heart. If you desire to bear the fruit or the uh, uh, evidence of transformation in Christ, then you esteem others better than yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and five, 3 to 5 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that is humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, here's the kicker. Let this mind, what mind? The mind we just described, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. To resist that type of mentality is to resist Christ. It's a sin against Jesus. We love each other by esteeming others better than ourselves, lest we bite and devour each other. And the second way we can love each other is by living in such a way as not to cause others to stumble. Do not use your flesh as an opportunity, your, your, your uh, uh, liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, having said that, let me say this. That we cannot live according to everyone's conscience and convictions. It took me a long time as a, to learn that. I was a young Christian, and I was trying to live for Jesus, and, you know, I had people that I was watching, I was modeling what they were doing, you know, because I didn't know what it was to be a Christian and all that, but I found myself sometimes worried about what everybody thought of me and if I was meeting everybody's expectations. 
Man, you live that kind of way, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a break, nervous breakdown. You can't live up to everybody's expectations. People want to create you in their own image, not in the image of God. Amen. And you can't live according to everybody's convictions. I love what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 29. He says, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? I love that. Why should the way I live my life be judged by another man's conscience? And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Amen. There's some things that are good for you to do that's not good for me to do and vice versa. Okay? But here's the deal. If we're walking in love. If you're walking in love and you know what your, your actions are causing somebody to stumble and you continue to walk that way, you are not, no longer walking in love. You're actually sinning against Christ. And Paul dealt with this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 where he talked about uh, uh, there was an issue concerning eating meat dedicated to idols. Or not dedicated, but eating meat that was, that was going to be sacrificed to idols. And in the meat market, believers were going there and they were buying meat. You know, like you had King Supers or something, they were buying meat. They knew that it was meat dedicated to idols or committed or they were going to sacrifice idols. But they knew idols weren't anything but wood, you know, wood, stone and, 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 and metal maybe and fashioned by men. They knew these idols weren't anything. So they're just buying some steaks. Amen. No big deal. But there were other believers who were being stumbled by it because they said, oh, you're going to the marketplace. You're buying this meat that was, that was uh, dedicated to idols. And so it, it, it caused some of the other believers to be stumbled. And so the mature believers were like, we're just, they're just steaks. Hey, man, we're going to have a little barbecue. We're just picking up some ribs or whatever. You know, just, they're just, it's just, it's no big deal, you know. But Paul said this. He said, but when you thus sin against the brethren... Thinking, well, you know what, I have my liberty. I don't care what they think, and I don't care if it hurts their feelings or whatever. He says, and you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat, food, eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Amen. So we go back to what Paul says here in Galatians. That basically, you know what? If you're going to walk in love, then walk in love by through loving, through rather serving one another. True liberty and true freedom is to serve one another in love. Amen. Didn't say you have to live according to someone else's conscience, but when you know something is causing someone to stumble, you go, hey, you know what? I love them enough to not do that in front of them or whatever. Amen. And verses 14 and 15, as we continue on, uh, he tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. Fulfillment of the law. And fulfillment of the law, because what love does is it, 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 it counter, counters that the biting and, and the, uh, the backbiting and the devouring and all that, that often is found within the churches. And I just thought, you know, uh, we look at some of uh, how that, what that looks like rather in real time, what that looks like to, to love, to have what I call proactive love. And love is not just a feeling like I love, you know, Calvary worship center. But if you're not proactive in that love, you'd be no benefit to the church. What do I mean by that? Well, let's just go to Colossians. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Real quick, just want to hear some proactive love I want to lay on you. Amen. Paul writes there, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
What? Put on what? Say it, church. Creekside. Tender mercies. And what? Kindness. And what? Humility. And what? Meekness. And what? Long-suffering. Now, that is what's going to benefit Calvary Worship Center. Amen? That's what's going to cause the church to grow and be an antidote to biting and devouring one another. And then here's the other piece. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Wow. If anyone has a complaint against another. Amen. There's a lot of complaints in the church. And he says, forgive each other. How? Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Wow. And above all these things, put on what? How many people brought a Bible today? Are you reading this? I get I six people up here. Creekside, y'all probably all say it. But I got six people here. And above all these things, put on the bond. Put on what? Love, which is the bond of perfection. We're not perfect people, but what keeps us perfectly united is the love of God. Amen? We're not perfect. We haven't arrived. There's no perfect marriage or anything. But what keeps us together is the bond of perfection, which is the love of God. We are to love each other. Evidence, as evidence of the fact that we are indeed walking with the Lord. That we have been transformed through the grace of God. Now he comes to exhibit B. The spirit. So the first evidence of uh, being transformed in Christ is love. The second one is the spirit. He says in verse 16, oops, I'm in the wrong. I got to go to the other book. Amen. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. He said, walk in the spirit. He didn't say just go to church, but to walk in the spirit. This is daily. And the Greek word for walk is peripateo, and it means to to be occupied, to make due use of opportunities to regulate one's life. Think about it. This is a lifestyle. This is not just going to church on Sunday. Now, let's put it in context. This occupied, uh, using opportunities, regulated life, being occupied with Jesus, taking advantage of opportunities to be a witness for Jesus, a life regulated by Jesus, guided and controlled by the spirit. It's the only way, this is so important because it's the only way that Pastor Al and all the rest of us will be able to resist the lust of the flesh. To do what we should rather than what we want. Now we talk about flesh. Flesh is being carnally minded. Thinking like the world. Flesh is cravings that incite sin. 
And we all have a sin nature. Amen. We all have a sin nature. I know people in the world teach, oh, no, we're all born good. <laughs> no, we're not. I love my little granddaughter, Layla. She's a, she's a little angel. But now she's a little toddler, you know. <laughs> oh, little sin nature starts coming out a little bit. Amen. And her little brother, he's 10 years old. She's only two. But she'll walk up to him and slap him upside the head. Boom. <laughs> just because she feel like it. And when you think, you know, our children, oh, our children, are, they're just basically, they're born good. And, you know, no, they're born with a sin nature, the Bible teaches. A nature bent against God, not toward God. And why is it the first word many times they learn is, no. <laughs> and you're, you're being nice to them. You don't fed them, change their diapers and all this. They get about two, three years old. No. Where'd that come from? You demonically obsessed, possessed child. <laughs> Pastor Al, come over. We had a demon in our kid, you know. They do an exorcism, you know. No, they just have a sin nature. Amen. They're little sinners that need a big savior. Amen. <laughs> just like all of us. So true. Amen. You don't, you don't believe me? Have a, have a child. Do, do your own experiment. <laughs> Some of y'all did six or seven of them experiments, amen? I hope you're convinced by now, amen. Hallelujah, amen. Praise the Lord. James has a remedy for our flesh. He wants to crop up its head because, you know, the sin nature is still within us, even though the nature of Christ is in us. And they war against each other. The Bible says, Paul says, they are contrary to one another. James says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In verse 18 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says here, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, then, uh, then you are not under the law. In other words, you're not subject to the law. Because we're walking in the spirit. We're in relationship with God, not in a religion with God, but in relationship, walking by the spirit. To be led by the spirit is to have a mind. What is it? It's to have a mind surrendered to the spirit. I can't walk in the spirit if my mind is surrendered to the world. To walk in the spirit is to have my mind surrendered to the spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You know it very well. Many of you do. And do not be conformed. That word conformed means to be pressed into a mold. And a lot of churches are being pressed into the mold of the world. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. We're talking about evidence of transformation by the renewing of your mind. Amen. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't know what God's will is unless you know God's word. Amen. And we have our minds transformed as we give ourselves our minds to the word of God. Then the Holy Spirit can lead us. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, our carnal minds will naturally produce the following. This is what Pastor Al produces naturally apart from Jesus Christ. What I produce naturally apart from Jesus Christ. Not all these things, but a few of them here, amen. These are things the world naturally produces. What our sin nature naturally produces. Verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh 
are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He didn't even finish the list of which I tell you before and just as I also told you in the past, in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things, we once walked in darkness, but now we have come to the light of God's word. We've come into the the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's son. And we've been changed. We're not perfect, but we've been perfected through faith in Jesus Christ, according to grace. But we are led by the spirit, surrendered to him completely, to his will. And we practice righteousness rather than these things that I've just read. That word practice means to exercise or to commit or to be busy with. It speaks of a lifestyle. You cannot say, run around, sleep with all the girls in the church and all this kind of stuff and outside of church and then come here and then call yourself a Christian and not have any sense of repentance and then call yourself a a believer. Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't use your flesh as an op- a cloak for vice, as an opportunity for your flesh to say, oh, I was baptized back when I was in the second grade, so I'm good. No, uh-uh. I was, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. I had infant baptism. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm good. No, you're not. You must decide to follow Jesus Christ and to make him Lord. Whosoever will come to him, believe in him, shall not perish. That's a decision. An infant can't make a decision. That's a decision. Jesus promised if you will put your faith in him, you shall not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. But those who practice these things, again, that's the key word, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes Christians stumble into these things. Sometimes we get deceived or we seduce ourselves or deceive ourselves into doing these things. And is there forgiveness for us? Absolutely. There's forgiveness for the world. There's forgiveness for the believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you not from some, but from all unrighteousness. Amen. And he can give you back to years, as I've already mentioned, that the locusts have even eaten. He's a good God. But God's seed is within us, John tells us in 1 John. And if his seed is within you, you might get caught up into something for a while, but you can't live there. You can't practice that. Amen. David tried it. Psalm 32. He said, but, you know, my my vitality was turned into the drought of summer until I finally confessed my sin and God forgave the iniquity of my sin and God restored him. And so we're out there, we might be, have the vitality of our life sucked out of us and, and you're not going to be right with God until you confess your iniquity so that God can forgive the, the iniquity of your heart, your sin, and restore you completely. There is restoration in Jesus Christ. Praise his holy name. 
So the first evidence is love. The second, exhibit B, is spirit. The third is exhibit C of a transformed life, and it is fruitfulness. Verses 22 to 26. Amen. In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit. Now, what you're able to produce because of your sin nature. Oh, here's the stuff. He already just gave us a list. But let me give you now, Paul says, let me give you exhibit C here. The evidence, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Amen. Gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Amen. There's nothing more miserable to say you live in the spirit and then walk in the flesh. Amen. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. The fruit of the spirit, fruit singular of the spirit is singular. He says the fruit, not the fruits of the spirit. Amen. It's singular. Speaking of that, which the spirit produces in our lives automatically or naturally, I should say. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces within our lives. As we abide in Jesus, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me unless you abide in me. And so if we, as we abide in the Lord, then we naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling within us. The sap of the tree is running through us. Amen. And it's just as, you know, in the spring when you go up to these fruit trees, you know, you never hear an apple tree grunting and groaning trying to produce fruit. It naturally just pops out. Amen. It's like, you know what? You know, apple, apple tree is like, I'm going to get one out. There's one, you know. That's how a lot of believers live their lives. But if you're naturally connected to the, 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 the uh, vine, you will naturally bear the fruit of the spirit that is dwelling within you. And I might add, the fruit of the spirit dwelling in us must be without grief. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit. You show me a fruitless believer, I'll show you someone who's living a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. Because if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we can't bear fruit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. And the personage of Christ living within us, helping us, aiding us, and producing this fruit within us. And there are three categories of fruit found here. And I've broken them down uh, and given them some uh, names or categories here. And um, the first one is the fruit of the liberated mind. Love, joy, and peace. Amen. Love, joy, and peace to counter, to counter hatred, anger, and fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. Amen. And so... You know, God gives us, here's the fruit that the spirit produces. The world produces hatred, anger, and fear. The fruit of the spirit produces love, joy, peace. And I would submit to you that the world needs a whole lot more love, joy, peace than it does the other. Amen. And it's us as believers who ought to be exhibiting that through a liberated mind. The fruit of the liberated mind enables us to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 27, 28, 
Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Love those who spitefully use you. Really? How many has mastered that one? But that's what he called us to do. And God never tells us to do something without giving us the strength to do it. Love your enemies. Saw a great example of that the other day. Probably heard the story about the police officer that shot the African-American young man sitting in his own apartment down in, in Texas. She thought he was in her apartment and, and he was breaking in or whatever. Anyway, shot the guy. He's sitting there watching TV. Killed him. Well, at the trial the other day, <coughs> excuse me, she was sentenced. I saw one of the greatest examples. I, I, I thought, man, if, I wish a whole nation could see this. And, and I, I did hear about it in the news, but I didn't hear it the way that uh, uh, the Christian CBN, I think it is, how they broadcast it, because they told the whole story. And what happened was at the trial, when they were sentencing this woman, she's a, she happened to be a, a white woman. She's a, now an ex-cop. She was a cop on the police force. And uh, the man she shot, of course, was African-American. And here she is at the trial being sentenced. And the man's brother was on the witness stand. And he said, I know people don't want me to say this, but I know my brother would want me to say it, and I'm saying it too. And he, he asked her to give her life to Jesus Christ right there on the witness stand. And then he asked her, amen. He got up, he asked the judge, he said, please let me, let, let me give her a hug. And the judge allowed him to get up from the witness stand to go down and hug this woman. She wept on his shoulders. The murderer of, her, of his brother. And then the judge, after the proceedings, came down, you probably saw this, came down from the, the judgment seat and went over to the woman with a Bible in her hand and, and shared with the woman John 3.16 right there in the courtroom. Amen. And, 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 and gave the woman a, a hug and all of this. And oh, the liberal media, media blew up. Oh, separation of church and state. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. I'm thinking the whole nation is fractured over race and this is love in action and reconciliation and you won't even receive it. A living example of how our nation can be healed. And there was nothing in that courtroom about color or anything else, but it was about Jesus Christ. He is the hope and the answer for our nation, amen. Praise his holy name. I said, that's love. That's the fruit of a liberated mind that's able to look beyond color or anything else and even the crime committed. And then the preacher in me kicked in. I thought, whoa. We got a witness on the witness stand. Amen. And we got someone who's being condemned. The witness came out and reached out to the condemned and embraced him that the condemned might be embraced by the judge. Amen. Come on now. Woo! Isn't that the church, what we ought to be doing? Not being a part of the narrative of racism in this nation, hating people, but loving them as fruit of the spirit, amen? Jesus told us to do it. He said, if you do it this way, you'll really make an impact. You want to change the culture in America? Start loving somebody. Not only love but the fruit of a liberated mind is joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Peter taught, talked about it, First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And then there is peace, oh, peace that surpasses human understanding. Pastor, I should be locked up someplace right now, but I've got a peace that I don't even understand, amen? God has given you that peace, and he's ordered that peace to guard your heart 
in your mind in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter four, verse seven. The second category that we find here, the fruit of, is the fruit of forbearance. I call it the fruit of a liberated spirit or an attitude. Liberated spirit, which is attitude. And what are they? The fruit of that spirit is long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. Long-suffering. Hey, I'm good at short-suffering. Amen. I'll put up with you for a little bit. Amen. I can do short-suffering. No, long-suffering. Pastor, I've been long-suffering. It's been two weeks. No, I said long-suffering. Some of you have been married for 20 years. You know what? Long-suffering. <laughs> Amen. Can also be called patience. Now listen to this, the definition for long-suffering. This is the fruit manifested under provocation when it's provoked. It entertains no thought of retaliation, even when wrongly treated. Sometimes I've got long suffering. I'm, I'm long suffering because I'm just waiting for God to lower the boom on somebody. <laughs> hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They got in a car accident. Oh, really? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's not long suffering. Amen. And God rebukes me. You came. I'm waiting for people to drop that have done me wrong years ago. God said, you need to stop that mess. That's not long suffering. Long suffering without retaliation, even when you've been done wrong. Wow. I said it was the fruit of the spirit. Did I not? Not of the flesh. And then he said, kindness. What is kindness? Benevolence, generosity, and action. If you're not generous, then, you know, as you cast your bread on the water to come back to you, man, if you're not generous, you know what? You're going to be, you'll be cutting yourself off from a blessing from the Lord. Generosity. I always jokingly tell you guys, I've said this before in the past, but, you know, you go out to a restaurant, some of you can't wait to get to lunch after you leave here today. Amen. You're hoping pastor, I was short in this message, but it ain't going to happen. And, uh, but you, you know, you just, you think about lunch right now and you go out to lunch. When you get there, you know, it, they bring you the bill, you know, be generous, show kindness, you know, be, leave a, a, an extra large tip, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, it'll bless you. God will bless you. Amen. Bless somebody. And then, and then tell them, say, Hey, you know, you know, is it, you know, invite them to Calvary worship center, you know, and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, you know, but if, if you leave 50 cents on a $30 bill, <laughs> tell them you go to a Baptist church or, or <laughs> you're part of a cult or something. Amen. Don't tell them you go here. Amen. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm teasing with you. Amen. But we need to be generous, kindness, overly kind, generosity. And then goodness, goodness, that is uprightness, an upright person. It's a disposition, a posture of the soul, someone who's in right standing with God, goodness. And the third category we come to, the fruit of the spirit, is the fruit of what I call liberated living. What is that? Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness, trustworthiness. Trustworthy, people can turn their back on you. You're still doing the job you said you would do. 
Trustworthiness. Remember when a man handshake was as good as a contract. Those days are long gone. But as a believer, we ought to be trustworthy. Gentleness. That is considered of others, especially when, listen, discipline is needed. Whoa. Especially when discipline is needed, gentleness. And, and then the Bible tells us, Paul says in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Here's the motivation. Because the Lord is at hand. I'm being gentle to people because I believe Jesus Christ can come at any moment. And then self-control. Self-control, the ability to curb fleshly impulses by the power of God's spirit because we can't do it in ourselves, in and of ourselves. Paul said, if you bear this fruit, these nine fruits, if you will, that is of the spirit, singular, come from the spirit, fruit of the spirit, then there is no law to condemn you. That's why he said against such, there is no law. No law condemns you because you're walking in the spirit and not according to the law. For all those who live such a way in such a way, no law will ever condemn you. Verses 24 and 25, he says in verse 24, he says, and, and those who are, who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. What does that mean? It means what Paul told us in another place. He said, look, I die how often? Daily. Every day my flesh must be crucified. I must identify with Jesus. Jesus said, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you know, you can't be my disciple. Don't even be fronting. Pick up the cross. Why? Because the cross reminds us that we need to be crucified with him. Amen. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live to the glory of God. The flesh cannot be rehabilitated. It has to be put to death. You can't rehab the flesh. You have to put it to death. And of course, we do that by walking in the spirit. By being crucified with Christ. Romans 8 verses 13 and 14. Paul says, therefore, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That means spiritually. We live according to the flesh. It gains us nothing. We will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, that's how we do it. Put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And then. And here in verse 25, he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. You know, in other words, walk like you live. And, you know, the way you live will be manifested in your walk. The way you live will be manifested in in how uh, how you uh, uh, live your life on a daily basis. The way I live. What, what does it mean? To, you know, the way I live. What I really believe behind closed doors will be manifested in my walk. At some point in my life. So if you live in the spirit, Paul says, then walk in the spirit. The old phrase, walk your talk, amen, is still true. In verse 26, we have the enemies of the fruit of the spirit, the enemies of of a transformed life, if you will. And he says in verse 26, do not become conceited, provoking one another, Envying one another, conceit, self-centeredness, provoking each other, you know, poking at folks, trying to get something started, all this, you know, and envy. All, all of those, all three of those, you know, can be summed up in one word, pride, pride. 
Pride goes before destruction, full of fall. These are the enemies of our of the evidence, if you will, of transformation within our lives as believers. But note something here about the, the fruit of the Spirit also, before we get, get off of that, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. But the fruit found here points to the method by which Christ is formed within us. All these fruits of the Spirit, you know, nine fruits there listed, these, these are actually, if, if sanctification, that is becoming more and more like Jesus, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our, our, in our lives. If sanctification was a college, you'd have to take all nine of these classes. Now, there's some classes here that you'd want to drop out of. Amen? Like you, one week comes around and, you know, the Lord says to be long-suffering. You go, I'm dropping out of that class this week. Now, you might drop out, but you're still going to take the class. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit has been placed in you to perfect Christ within you. Amen? And so you may say, well, you know what, I, I'm not going to take that class. Or if you fail a class, guess what? Well, I failed that one, so I just don't have to take it anymore. Or yes, you do. The Holy Spirit will call you back at the, in the school in the session, amen, and call you back to that class. You're going to learn the, all these areas we need to learn. Now, let's be honest. Some of our fruit in some of these areas are nice and ripe, and oh, boy, we have no problem, man. We're the most patient. Oh, I wish I could be patient like that person. But then other areas of our life, our fruit's a little green. Amen. None of us have been perfected because even though you're in the school of the Holy Spirit and he's teaching you and he's got you take these nine classes, you don't graduate until you get to heaven. <laughs> Paul said, I have not arrived. Amen. You think, oh, I I'm going to graduate. Well, no, you're not. All your life, I don't care how old you are, 90 years old, you're still going to be going to class. He's still going to be perfecting love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, all these things in your life. He's still working on us, amen? And aren't you glad about it? Because you know why he's working on us? Because he wants you to have life and that more abundantly. Amen. So my exhortation to you today is to continue to run well. How do we do that, Pastor? In love, spirit, and fruitfulness. As evidence of the gracious liberty we have received through faith in Christ. Liberty that sets us above, not beneath the condemnation of the law. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says it well, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. Is there evidence of transformation in your life? I pray that there is. And in those areas where maybe we have faltered or we have failed, this is what the Lord would say to you. My grace is sufficient for you. And I will perfect in you the work that I began. Amen. And present you blameless, faultless, and with exceeding joy on that day. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today. There may be someone here today that they don't know Christ. They're watching online or over at Creekside. We always like to give people an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you're saying, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. I want to know that my sins are forever forgiven. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven today. We love to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're not going to embarrass you if you're here over at Creekside. If you're watching online, you can click the button there and pray this prayer with us as well.
But I like to ask, is there anyone here within my sight or you stand, you're upstairs in the overflow or you're over at Creekside? You desire to know Christ. Would you just simply stand to your feet right now and I'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you may know today that your sins are forever forgiven and your name is written down in the book of everlasting life. Is there anyone here today? We'll wait just a few moments. Just stand and I'll lead you in that prayer. Thank you, Father. God bless you. Thank you for standing. It takes courage. One of the sins Paul didn't list on that list of sins that we produce, one is cowardice. Cowardice has kept so many people out of heaven. It takes courage to stand up like this person is standing now. Is that you? Would you stand? Will you make the most courageous step in your life ever right now? Thank you for standing. Amen. It takes courage. Anyone else? We're going to pray in just a moment. Amen. There may be someone over at Creekside or watching online. If you're watching online, just click the button. We already have one person online that's going to pray with us as well. So those of you who are standing, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because no surprises. We're not going to embarrass you. But after you pray with me, I want to. I'm going to stand right here. I want to just meet you. If you would come down, I'd like to shake your hand. And the reason I have you do that, is because I want to give you some free information, okay, that's going to help you continue to grow in the Lord. We're not after social security number or anything like that. Just want to give you that information, okay? So you can continue your journey. You can continue to walk with Christ. Amen. Pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. Say it from your heart to the heart of God. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died for my sins and I believe you are risen from the dead. Forgive me. Come into my life this morning. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. You're listening to our weekly episode from Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs where Al Pittman delivers the teachings such as we've heard today in our survey in the book of Galatians. We're drawing towards the close of this series, but we can invite you back next time as we move into chapter 6 of this message, Supplemental Grace. Today we've looked for evidence of transformation. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and keep listening to teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And if you want access to a full library of teachings from Calvary Worship Center and Pastor Al Pittman, click in at cwccs.org and look under Media. That's also where you will find full information about our church in Colorado Springs and you'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That's cwccs.org. Click under Give. More from Galatians next week from Pastor Al. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.